Folks, a quick message from our sponsors, Know Before. So what's a con game? It's a fraud that works by getting the victim to misplace their confidence in the con artist. In the world of cybersecurity, we call confidence tricks social engineering. And as our sponsors, Know Before, will tell you, human error is how most organizations are compromised. What are some of the ways organizations are victimized by social engineering? We'll find out here in just a minute. Now, our sponsors' questions about forms of social engineering come in this form. Know Before will tell you that there's human contact, there can be con games. It's important to build the kind of security culture in which your employees are enabled to make smart security decisions. To do that, they need a new school security awareness training. See how security culture stacks up against Know Before's free phishing test. Get it now at knowbefore.com forward slash phishing test. That's knowbefore.com forward slash fishing test. Now, no before wants to thank you for listening to the show and I want to thank them for sponsoring it. They are the provider of the world's largest security awareness and simulated fishing platform. Be sure to take advantage of their free fishing test, which you can find at knowbefore.com forward slash fishing test. Think no before for your security training. Hey everyone, welcome to this week's CISO Talk Podcast. I have an awesome episode. I'm your host, James Azar. Thank you so much for taking the time to join us this week on the show. I'm very excited. You know, this show's about two CISOs having a conversation. So if this is your first time tuning in, you want to go back and check out all the episodes. There's no sales on this show. There's no anything like that. There's just a practitioner show fully and absolutely so this is your first time tuning in, please make sure to subscribe to our show. You can find us on all of your favorite podcast listening platforms by looking up CISO Talk. You can also find all of my other content under the CyberHub podcast. So if you're not subscribed to our CyberHub podcast uh, shows as well, go and do so right now. We're also on YouTube, so go and you can watch this. So if you're listening on your favorite podcast listening platform and you actually want to see my awesome guest, then you want to go to YouTube, look up CyberHub Podcast or CISO Talk, subscribe to our channel, turn on the notifications. You'll get everything you want. Make sure to sh- support our awesome sponsors, uh, Know Before, Wistic, and Ativa Networks. You can see more about them in the show notes, so check them out. And as always, you can comment and subscribe below on the uh, podcast. I always answer questions. Tune into my lives. You can also find me on Clubhouse at James at the real James Azar. Sorry, at James Azar on Clubhouse. Tune into my rooms on Clubhouse. You'll have a great, great time. We do these three, four times a week. So just whenever, go to the Clubhouse. Follow CISO Talk on Clubhouse. We have our own club on Clubhouse, so you don't want to miss that either. So enough telling you about everything we're doing. We've got an awesome guest coming up. You guys ready? Monica Verma is coming. If you don't know Monica, you're going to love Monica, I promise you. So here we go, folks. CISO talk time. No sales. Are you ready? Let's kick it off. From the CyberHub Bunker in studio, you're listening to the CISO Talk Podcast. No sales. No bullshit. Just straight talk. Straight talk. And now for your host and CISO, James Azar. Monica, welcome to the show. Hi, James. Thank you. I'm so glad to be here today. Thank you for inviting me. 
you know, I, I love what you do. And so I was, when, when we kind of got connected, I was just like, you know, we're going to have to do each other. We're going to have to, I'm just going to have to have you on the show. For those who don't know Monica Verma, let me tell you a little bit about Monica. All right. Cause I, was, I, I, I just have to let them know if they don't know. So they know let's set the standard right now. Monica Verma is one of the most impressive CISOs in our industry. She's, she's the CISO now in Oslo, in, in beautiful, cold, freezing Norway. Um, very nice people. Very, very cold. Very cold. Very, 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 very cold. Um, but she's the CISO <laughs> for the Norwegian uh, Directorate of Health, a very, very important department, especially over the last 12 months as we're dealing with this global pandemic, but she's new in her role. She just kind of, uh, you're just uh, getting your feet wet, right, Monica? Yes, I moved from finance industry, uh, 14 years of finance to health, yes. Awesome. She also hosts uh, one of my favorite podcasts, uh, Monica Talks Cyber. So um, you definitely want to check that out as well. And now it's We Talk Cyber, right? It's We Talk Cyber. But to me, it's always Monica Talks Cy- talk Cyber. I, I can't help it. <laughs> no, but you find We Talk Cyber on Monica Talks Cyber as well. So it's all connected. It's all interwebbed, interconnected. And so this is who we've got on the show today, folks. I hope you're ready. Fasten your seatbelts. If you're watching, tune in. Turn off all the distractions. Monica, I'm going to pass the ball over to you and tell share with our audience a little bit about it, how you got started in cybersecurity. What was your journey like? Yeah, I mean, um, very interesting in the sense that it was not planned out. It just happened. But it happened through a series of maybe, let's say, passion that I developed over some time. So now when I look back, everything seems connected. Everything seems like fit and it seems like this is what I was meant to do. This was meant to be, but it was not so straightforward back then. I mean, I I tell and share the story about how I got interested in technology when I was a kid and I started learning programming at a very early age, actually already in high school. I don't know if that standard, that time it was not really a standard. We didn't have like programming in every school in that sense. But I took like, I remember taking like some C classes and I did some extra classes on the side also when I was doing my bachelor's and I got interested in operating system. And I was like really intrigued by technology. And that happened actually when I was 10 years old and I saw the inside of a cockpit for the very first time as a 10 year old kid. Um, when I stepped into the cockpit and I shared the story very often, but what, what fascinated me, I don't remember till date, what was the view of the sky or, or the atmosphere from the cockpit window shield. I don't, because I don't think I even saw that. I just saw all these switches and this whole amazingly huge, complicated dashboard with all these buttons and switches, and I was spellbound. And and that's what took my uh, attention. And I realized that it was really, as a child, that I was so fascinated by technology at different, different levels and going to science museums and all these things. So I started thinking about, okay, I want to do something related to technology. Then I learned a bit about operating systems and programming, and I learned very quickly that you can actually create programs or change programs to have it do things that they're not supposed to do. It was primarily for fun, first of all, (laughs) and then it became more like, oh, wait, this can really be abused for really bad things, Uh, not just for fun, but for like really causing damage, right? So that's where I, I 
I was doing my master's in cryptography, very like theoretical and very like all these random Oracle models and so on. And there was no cybersecurity course or anybody that was offering these things. So what I did was I somehow got in touch with Jeremiah Grossman and I was a big fan of him and I still am till date. And I, I just got very interested in hacking and web application testing because of him. So then I thought, okay, how do I do that? I wanted to learn that. So I started learning about, I started following him, what he was doing. He was hacking Yahoo that time and doing amazing stuff. And I did my master thesis in web application security. Um, and the funny thing is that I actually convinced Jeremiah and I convinced my cryptography professor to let me do a master thesis on a subject that was not even taught in, in the university. <laughs> That's how basically started. And I just got into OWASP and I got offered a, a hacking job, basically. So you started your journey in cybersecurity kind of started on the hacker side, not necessarily the theoretical side. So you're a keyboard CISO, as I like to call them. Uh, yeah, sure. I mean, it was not theoretical. That's actually correct. Very practical, very hands-on, understanding really the vulnerabilities, um, knowing the code. Obviously, I was programming and coding and secure coding and breaking. And so it was both the office and defense, but it was very practical and hands-on. That's correct. Yeah, I love that. That's that's one of my, um, I, l- I love these stories. You know, I've done uh, 110 episodes of CISO Talk. This will be episode 110, right? Lovely. And it's 110 different stories of how people got <laughs> into cyber. It's literally 110 different stories. There's no, there's no, uh, you know, golden path to become a chief information security officer. I love the fact that you started in the uh, in the in the practical piece of it, though. Maybe except passion. If if there is really one true thing, I think I see in people succeeding in cybersecurity is really passion. So let's talk about that. You're kind of a brilliant, awesome segue. I love the fact that I'm speaking to someone who also hosts a podcast because we're just <laughs> bouncing off each other. Um, so let's talk a little bit about building a team, right? And kind of hiring people and breaking into cybersecurity. Those are very, um, very, I don't want to say sensitive topics, but they're very important topics. When you're hiring someone for your team, what what are some of the key X factors that you look for in a candidate? For me, it's very clear. I, I prioritize attitude, eagerness to learn, and passion, maybe top three uh, before even skills. Because, and it, and it depends really on the role, right? If you want really a CISO or a very advanced or experienced role, sure, you will obviously want skills and you will want the right skills. But let's, let's, let's see these three things because they actually fit all three or all different levels of roles, basically. Whether you're breaking into cybersecurity or you're breaking into leadership, you wish somebody who has the right attitude because that also affects basically your communication. You want somebody who's passionate. Again, it depends on how you're able to work with the stakeholders. You need to understand, um, you need to be eager to learn because um, there is no silver bullet in cybersecurity. It just isn't. And I get really tired and annoyed by people who go with like, this is the only right way and this is the only way to do it. And I'm like, uh, there is no one answer, one size fits all ever in cybersecurity. So sure, we should share experiences, but then saying, 
this is the way it has to be and this is the only way it's something that i don't feel works so what i'm looking for um candidates i i feel that obviously experience based on what level of role it is but then it's really attitude ex- passion to learn and and passion to work and make something happen that's that's really the key i feel it's very important for me when i'm hiring people so i love this sorry i'm adjusting sound here um <laughs> Uh, so I, uh, for, for those watching, people are like, James, why are you turning away from Monica? I'm not turning away from Monica. I'm not, I'm adjusting sound. I've got the soundboard right here and I'm trying to make sure you sound amazing. Um, don't worry about it. Um, so no, being a podcast show, um, show host, I am really, really also very like, it's important for me as well to know and make sure that it's audible and it's good for the audience to listen. And so I understand. There's, there, you brought up something I thought was really um, important here, which is the idea of you know the eagerness to learn, the ability to want to become more of a um, curious. And you talked about being in a cockpit at the age of ten, I think, as kind of like looking at the buns and looking at the sky. Uh, I have a similar experience. Um, when I was 13, we were flying from Israel to the States and we were on British Airways and it was a 747. And this was pre 9-11. So the flight attendant was telling me, um, I asked her if I could go to the cockpit and she said, absolutely. And she took me up the stairs to the cockpit. And, and I remember just sitting in there for about 15 minutes as the pilots were explaining, you know, everything that was happening. And you're right. You kind of look at that and now you understand how automated and how many fail safes exist in an aircraft. And you wonder why we don't have the same in technology and also in our hiring process, right? Like the fail safe aspects are, are critical. You talked about the eagerness to learn. You talked about passion. You talked about, um, you know, abilities. Is there, how do you, what, what would you tell someone who's trying to get started in cyber what what would you tell them? What what two things would you tell them today that they need to do in order to be able to successfully become a cybersecurity practitioner and a professional? So the thing is that today cybersecurity has so many subfields and so many different areas that you can work in that there is no one size fits all. So maybe the first thing to invest time in is really to understand. Broadly, do you want to go in offense? Do you want to go in defense? What is it? Basically, I have to understand what these different subdomains are because you could do so many different paths. I mean, back then it was like, yeah, we were doing network security when we started. I mean, there was development, there was network security, and there was hacking. That was broadly the things that we used to do. But now it's like gone into so many different areas. You could be an architect, you could be a cloud architect, you could be an engineer at different levels, you could do so many other different threat team, blue team, purple team, and so many things. So it's worth spending some time and investing some time in really understanding the different sub areas and subdomains within cybersecurity because it will help you understand what you might have passion for. Um, where do you want to go? And and the important thing here is to not think that this is has to be perfect. This has to be correct because I think that's not what you're looking for. You're just trying to find out what would be something you'd be interested in because down the road, if you find that this is not what you wish, you can always change. 
So don't be scared. This is the most important thing I want to tell them. Pick something that you feel is most interesting. It doesn't have to be perfect. Start there. That's that's the key. And the second thing is that always, always, always remember your path is yours. It's nobody else's. So learn from others. Be motivated from others. People who have already succeeded, who have been in this industry, who are doing it. Like I did it with Jeremiah and, and other great people that have done so amazing stuff. But I talked to Jer so many times and he and I have such different career paths, even though we both started with hacking. And and he's been always, whenever I talk to him, he always says that, you know what? The reason you're doing this is because I never told you what to do. And and actually correct. He never told me what to do. I was inspired by him and I and I learned things from him, but I did and chose my own path. And that's really important and key. So don't be afraid of choosing something. Doesn't have to be perfect. Start somewhere, understand and learn a bit of it. And then obviously there are different resources and guides, but pick something that you wish to do, not that somebody else is telling you to do. When you talk about picking something that someone should do, um, you know, you brought up the different expertise and disciplines within cyber. And, And there's, you know, offense, defense, there's now network, there's cloud, there's IT, there's data. Uh, there's architecture, there's engineering, there's DevOps. Um, but let's talk about GRC. That's more yeah. of the, uh, 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 th- that's another discipline. I mean, if we keep going, there's endpoints. Some people consider firewall to be its own discipline. It's, it's really, it's, it's, <laughs> some people have zero trust as a discipline. I know, I know, I know. Um, and I feel like that's very confusing. You said one very excellent thing. No journey is the same and make the journey your own. You don't have to follow someone else's journey in order right. to succeed and, and break into cyber. But at the same time, um, how did you find the motivation in your journey to keep going on as things got difficult? What were some of the what were some of the difficulties you encountered? Yeah, I mean, there were quite some challenges and there were different levels. So first is that um, I have to just put it out there. I obviously had challenges being uh, only woman around the table. So many instances and for no, many years. You don't so say. Like, I know, right? I mean, what? On, it's totally unbelievable. What? Right? It's, it's, what? <laughs> I know. But, but there were also other challenges in the sense of like, um, even when I was hacking, for example, I didn't fit. Um, let me explain why. I love technology. I love hacking. I was never a big fan of hoodies. I was never a big fan of nerd talks. Just somehow, I feel like I spent a lot of years hacking where I tried to be one of the guys or one of the boys and, and try to fit in and try to act and behave and dress sometimes as well. Uh, and then I think at some point, after a couple of years, I just got fed up. I just did. And I think what kept me motivated was maybe to realize that I am living my own life here and I'm trying to fulfill my passion. So what kept me motivating was the bigger purpose. When I did, when I was doing hacking, for example, um, when I would find um, these vulnerabilities together with another teammates, obviously, one of the challenges that we faced was how do we explain this to the business, right? Um, there's one thing of talking about vulnerabilities, but what, how do you communicate that in terms of business risks and what does it mean for the organization? And one of the things that I believe I've always had is this problem solving attitude. And that's probably the key of what kept me motivating. I'm motivated because 
that's how I actually jumped from hacking to GRC right away. So what I did was, along with other people as well, I spent a lot of time communicating and explaining. I had meeting with uh, all these business leaders and trying to help them understand that these vulnerabilities are one thing and then risks are totally different thing. And this is why you should care. Not because there's a vulnerability that's level 10 or level two, but because of what it means as an impact to your business, period, right? So I started doing a lot of risk workshops and that's where I got interested in risk management. So what kept me motivated to answer your question is the attitude or the inclination to solve problems for other people or to solve problems in general for society and businesses. So let's talk a little bit about the role of the CISO. The mm -hmm. role of the CISO is a very fascinating one because I think it's the most, outside of the CEO, it's the most complex role in an organization. You have to know a lot about you have to know a little bit about everything, but you have to know a lot about everything too. You can't know just a little, mm -hmm. and uh, you've almost got to be the watchful eye. But at the same time, you can't you know scourge and be a business disruptor. You got to be a business enabler. What are some of the best practices? What are some of the things you do in order to be a business enabler as a CISO? Yeah, I mean, I have like. Um a plan for the first 100 days when I start. But in addition to that, I believe there are certain things that you have to always keep in mind as a CISO. And then one thing is that there are no, let me just break this myth, and a lot of people will not like me for this, but I will just put it on <laughs> the left. There is not one, two, 10, seven, 18 types of CISO. There is only one type of CISO. That's it. The reason no. we talk about different types of CISOs is because of different maturity of the organization. But as a CISO, it's our role to help the organization understand that there is one type of CISO and this is what you want. Because if they're actually asking for a technical CISO, they're asking for a glorified engineer. They're really not asking for a CISO. Let me just be straight there, right? So as a CISO, you're, I think the key three things is one, really understanding um, the business because every organization works very differently. So you have to tailor your security to the organization. And I can say that from experience coming from the finance sector and now in the health sector, it's very different. I mean, there is one thing of data not being available for trading versus data not being available for treating a patient. The consequences are completely different. So you have to think very differently of how you're gonna manage the risk and help the organization fulfill their mission and their goals. So understanding the business, understanding the organization and why they are doing what they're doing is the key. Second, you have to learn communication. So the reason I say that there is no technical CISO, there are no seven types of CISO is because I come from a hacking background, but I don't talk technical when I talk to my board, when I talk to my management team, when I talk to employees in general, unless I'm talking to a security expert or an or a IT expert, I'm really not talking technology because they don't care about it. And you have to really tailor your communication to your audience. So that's the second thing you have to do. Third key thing is, I believe every CISO should know and understand enterprise risk management. And I'm not saying cyber risk management, I'm saying enterprise risk management. I don't remember the last time I have worked in a CISO role and have worked with cyber risk management without understanding enterprise risk management because they are actually integrated even though they are not today in many organizations. But the whole benefit of cyber risk management comes when you're able to integrate them with enterprise risk management. 
So I think these are the three key things that I always have to have in my mind. There are a lot of other things that you said. I mean, um, yes, uh, CISO needs to understand like what the regulations are in place, uh, how the architecture should look like, what the key principles are for security architecture, what are the key principles for strategy, how are the key principles for moving to cloud and all these things. But nonetheless, it all boils down to these three main things, I believe. And I wrote a blog, actually, if, if your audience is interested. It was about, it's, the blog is called um, From Hacker to CISO. It's on my website, monicatalkcyber.com. And that blog is a very, in, it's, it's a good, it's a long blog, a bit long blog. But the good thing about it is it's like a one-stop shop for anybody who wants to understand the CISO role. And it goes into different aspects of strategy, communication, operationalization, and so on. And if you find it long, you can just read each para on its own. So they stand alone. So you don't have to read the whole blog in one go. So what you can do is you can just look at the topics there and just see like, hey, you know what? I'm interested in this one. So just read that and then you can come back to it later. So that, that one is like a one-stop shop, which I'm going to spawn out and make different articles um, or blogs later. But that's just for everyone to understand what the CISO role really entails and how you can be an effective CISO. So the things that I mentioned about this communication, risk management, integration, understanding the business, these are a part of it. This is what makes CEO an effective CISO versus just a CISO. That's a, that, that's a great summary of what it's like to be a CISO. I, I loved how you brought up enterprise risk management. It's, you know, the mature CISOs get it. Mm-hmm. And mature organizations understand how to align it. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, I know some very good CISOs that have a hard time getting across the enterprise risk management threshold simply because when the business views cyber as an IT function and not a business function, you're always kind of sitting in that, I don't want to say a little kid's table. I feel like that's too cliche, but mm-hmm. you're kind of sitting um, at the bus stop and you're kind of sitting in, you're standing in the back of the bus stop while everyone else is supposed to get on. And if there's room on the bus, you can get on. And if there isn't, wait for the next one to show up. Mm-hmm. And that's very correct. And and here is also, there's, um, there are also certain things you can do here. So you're absolutely right. So let's take the example of an organization that's not mature enough where they're not seeing cyber risk as a business risk. Okay. Let's, let's do that. Nonetheless, cyber risk is an operational and an IT risk, right? I mean, that's something that even a non-mature organization understands. So the benefit comes because the integration with enterprise risk management can happen in phases. It's important to understand that when you're building security, it's not about building from zero to one in a day or in a week or even in a year. Break your goals into sub-goals and break them, break your strategy into like um, small milestones. So let's start with just having just the CDO, okay? The CDO is still a part of the um, C-level, right? And usually what happens in the immature organization is you being a CISO, it's not considered the same level as a CTO or CFO or other Cs, right? So when you're talking about cyber risk, the first key thing would be to get the CTO on board. You're still at the IT level. You're still at the operation level. You're not going to the level of CEO and making everybody understand it's a business risk. But when you're, once you're able to connect that to an operational risk and help 
and have the CTO on board to be able to document it and be able to verify and show it as an operation risk, it's a good place to start and build from that. So I believe that people who are in a no, um, lower maturity organization try to just achieve everything. And I think that backfires, even in a mature organization for that matter. I mean, even now when I'm in a mature organization where I'm working with cyber risk and enterprise risk management team to make sure that they are aligned and they're integrated, I still don't believe that I can do that in one step. This is a phase-wise approach. Security is a phase-wise approach. So brilliant. I love that. You kind of said that as a CISO, you go into any new role and you have a 100-day plan. So tell me a little bit about the 100-day plan. What are some of your um, key goals in the first 100 days? Sure. So it actually starts even before I start the role. So I research the hell out of the organization before I actually go into the organization. That's really uh, what I really love spending time on. And I believe I usually always take some grace. So this is really important. I always, always, always try to take at least two weeks between two roles to make sure that I my mindset is fully into the new job and new organization, new role. And it's important because, as I said, the mindset of how you see the new organization and understand their goals and their mission will help you understand how you should prioritize your tasks. Um, I don't accept this, accept this um, uh, 100-day plan on an overall level. I don't like copy-paste what I've done before in a new role. So I obviously take the overall structure, but I try to um, adjust it to the new organization. So I research a lot of it, that's number one. And when I get into the organization, I already uh, set up meetings, face-to-face meetings or now online meetings when we are also working remotely. Nonetheless, I just set up some quick 20-minute meetings with every major key stakeholder, including the CEO. So it's important that you're able to and there's a, there are two reasons for it. One, you want to build some kind of credibility with them. And, and the credibility doesn't come in one day, but it starts from the very beginning. So you want somebody to, you want to know the kind of person you are and build like a kind of network at a more um, relationship level. But then these meetings are mostly about understanding and asking them um, just their viewpoints or like how it has been in terms of, um, in terms of security, how they have viewed, what are the challenges they had. And the most important question that I ask them is, what is your expectation from a CISO? The reason I ask that is because when I've asked all these different key stakeholders of expectations, it helps me understand, okay, this is the whole portfolio. How much is the overlap between different expectations, what I can manage and what I can't manage? Because you have to be really aware, right? If suppose you're immediate superior or the CIO or the CEO wants something, but some other key stakeholders are completely expecting totally different from you, it's good to be aware of that in the beginning. So that's that's when I go into, it's kind of like reconnaissance. And then um, reading a lot of important documentation, what's in place today, understanding. So for example, enterprise risk management is a good example. When I came in, the first thing I did was I studied what enterprise risk management we have today in the organization. And it really made me understood two things how I will be able to ensure that cyber risk is a part of it, and two, is the maturity enough? What do we need to do, right? So doing all of this research when you come in is the second step. Building relationship is a third step, or it was kind of like the part of the second step. That's really important. And then one of the key thing is that when you talk to these people, 
provide value already from the very beginning. So like when I go to the architecture team or, or head of the architect um, architecture team, right? I, I talk to them about if it's, it's the cloud journey that we're doing or any kind of other architecture that we have, it's hybrid or on-prem or whatever. I try to help understand what they really need and how I can bring value to the table. And you are not, it's not, the point is not about being super smart. You have to be very careful because when you give help to people, sometimes it can be misunderstood that you're thinking that you're much better and smarter than they are. So don't let them feel that way, but just be genuine and like, okay, you know what? If there's something I could help with or do, just let me know. And uh, I hope I can come to you for some questions as well. So that kind of open, transparent um, relationship building is very important. After that, when it comes to strategy, specifically for the CISO role, I really see the most important thing for me to know is the maturity level today in the organization and the target maturity level, because the gap will tell me what my strategy and my plan will look like, but also will help me understand the one I said before, how I can break them into phases. Because depending on how much the gap is from today's maturity to the target maturity, it could take anywhere from six months to three years or whatever, right? You are supposed to have like about a short-term and a long-term goal. So I create a proper roadmap with short-term plan and a long-term plan. And the short-term plan is really based on the important cyber risks that we have, the uh, key critical functions and the organization needs to continue delivering and the low-hanging fruit. So those I tackle first and then the rest goes into the bigger uh, longer-term plan and the roadmap basically. Three things I took away from your 100-day plan. Mm-hmm. If, if, I, if I'm going to summarize it and tell me if I got it right. Relationships are critical. Establish them, fa- establish them early and be very keen with your relationships. Number two, don't look past 100 days. Number three, don't copy and paste. Meaning when, when I say don't look past 100 days, I mean understand what the business expects from you look and and understand how that fits within what you need to do as a practitioner but then don't be set in a specific way where you might end up being a business uh you want to be a business enabler and not someone who's uh coming in from the department of no yeah exactly so this you have summarized this perfectly if i can just maybe elaborate the second one don't look past 100 days is is correct in the sense that, yes, you will look into the what you're doing now, right? Exactly. While if you have a long-term goal based on what you're doing now, be flexible to adapt and adjust that. So you're absolutely right. Don't be so stuck on this is how the three years have to go. You have to kind of have a strategy and a plan that you can adjust as you go forward. So absolutely, it has to be flexible enough that it, has, because the landscape is changing all the time. Risks are evolving especially when we saw this pandemic now, right? I mean, some of the things, I'm not going to say that the threat landscape changed like drastically, but at least the cyber risk towards, for example, the health sector changed quite a lot. So have that flexibility in your plan to make sure that you can pick on them as the time comes. That's that's brilliant. So Monica, as we kind of look at cyber f- from a general point of view, tell me a little bit about, kind of where you spend your time as a CISO and what's really important for you uh, in in your day-to-day work? Uh, Three things. Awareness, help different stakeholders understand security in their language, 
two, enabling the business critical functions, the business in general, and, and digitalization. So like, as you said, not being a showstopper or a no person, but more so on how we can integrate these things and enable. Uh, and then three is really helping the organization manage risks. So it's, it's the three things I believe are the key that I always have as the ultimate goal when I'm working in my, whatever project it is, but it's really about ensuring that people understand there is awareness around it, that we are able to help the organization manage the risks, and we're actually able to help the organization fulfill their their mission, their goals, their, um, and their roadmap in general. So you've worked on the private sector. You're now kind of in the almost government sector. Those are very, very different um, in, in, in a lot of different kind of aspects. I think, you know, in the, in the government sector, they look at security as being almost a right. Would that be correct? Rather than on the business sector, it's more of a business enabler. Would that be a fair, fair summary? Maybe what, what do you mean by would be right in, in public sector? Maybe I didn't get that part. To, so, so it's a right, meaning we need it in order to defend um, and protect yeah. our citizens' information. It's not something we can skimp out on. Yeah, that's absolutely correct. Because I believe the, um, the reputational risk to government is seen a bit slightly than reputational risk to private sector. How the citizens view reputational risks, for example, if, if they say the government gets hacked, the uh, health services get hacked, I believe the, the reputational risk will be seen much, much, much more differently by everybody around the world versus if a private company would get hacked. I mean, obviously both of them have repercussions, but I mean that the it, it's slightly different. That's... Um... That's that's good to kind of. I think that's what most people would assume. What would you say is the biggest difference from a government perspective to a private sector? So one of the things that I've noticed, at least, is that yeah, when you're talking about private sector, you're talking about our revenue, you're talking about goals, and you're talking about meeting these goals or these uh, uh, whatever your target is, right? And how they're basically talking mostly about compliance in a regulated industry, for example, like finance in a private sector, for example, and they're talking mostly about, okay, how do we manage um, security in a way that is good enough, but doesn't stop our business and we can manage our targets. But as you said, in public sector, it's not, it cannot be just good enough. It, it, it has to be really there. I mean, you cannot let your citizens data out. You just can't, it's just, there is no way around it. Some of the risks that are reputational are very much higher in the sense that, for example, let's talk about the health sector. There is no way you can put a value in a price of um, somebody losing their life because you don't have the right management information, for example, and that the information is integrated, uh, is, is the integrity of the information is there, right? If you're, for example, treating a patient. It's, it's key, it's not just about availability, but it's key that the information that the doctors receive, for example, to diagnose a patient or to treat a patient or, or whatever the data is based on, it's the integrity is there. So how the government sees the cybersecurity is a bit different. It's more in terms of, it's, yeah, it's regulated, but it's really connected to their mission. And, it's re- and that's why I talk about vision, because I believe that this is a different way to Think in a public sector, okay, we are doing a social mission. What our social mission is about. It's not so much connected to the revenue as so much as 
what services we're providing, and how we need to protect the data and the information. Whereas in private sector is more so much about, yeah, this is the revenue, does cybersecurity play a role here? To what extent does it play? And we need to make sure that the services are running, the availability is there because it will ultimately lead to revenue, but the ultimate goals are very much different and how they see it is also very much different. That's the main thing that I've seen. I mean, both private and public sector can be regulated. So when they're heavily regulated, then it's almost the same. Do geopolitics play a bigger role, you think, in government than they do maybe in the private sector? They do. Absolutely do. And I also believe that one of the other things in government, maybe I didn't mention, is also the collaboration between the other public, public actors. So when you think about public sector, you kind of like have to think of multiple actors within health, multiple actors within defense, multiple actors within, I don't know, other kind of energy or multiple kind of actors in, in the other public sector, right? But then the so first, these multiple actors have to play together. Uh, they are, it is affected by the politics, right, on these multiple actors. And then these multiple actors from different sectors have to play with each other as well. So the kind of like it's more complicated and it's really governed by politics as compared to what you're doing in the private sector. Because there you are, you're obviously um, affected by regulations in the sector, but it's not so much so that it's dependent on every other actor within the sector or even the other sectors for that matter. Yeah, it's um, it's it's very interesting. I think right now we're starting to see more of kind of the private sector, especially I think post exchange, post solar winds. The public sector is now under a lot more scrutiny than it's ever been before, and the citizens I think don't quite understand how to interpret all of this stuff. That's correct. Um, outside of it being a a headline on a, in a news story. There's there's very little beyond that. Yeah, and that's true. And I believe that um, that's a bit sad as well at times that you wonder what real impact does and a cyber attack on a government agency have? What do citizens make out of it? And I believe also the answer is not it's not one answer because it also depends on different countries and different cultures. So how the American government got hacked versus how a uh, German or Norwegian government would get hacked, how it would be perceived, it's, it's, it, it depends on also how the citizens see the government and what kind of expectations do they have from the uh, government. So it, it's a bit different from country to country as well. Yeah, I love that. That's I think that's one of the issues a lot of CISOs are having to answer for in 2021. The geopolitical implications of a nation state launching an attack against a country where you're a private enterprise within that country, but you're a target because you're part of a critical infrastructure or you're part of a support network to the, to the government that essentially provides services to the people. Correct. And there, I think it's almost the same, whether you're public or private, as long as you're part of the critical infrastructure backbone. So when you get hacked, which can lead to the, the critical infrastructure that basically is being provided to the society gets interrupted. I mean, the ramifications are are the same, right? So that is something the supply, the solar wind, something taught us, right? I mean, when you're a part of a bigger, um, when you're part of the supply chain and how it impacts on a much more national level, uh, then it gets then it gets really tricky. And here it's when the organization become 
Here's probably when the organizations become okay. You know what? Now we really need to do something about it. So looking at you know cybersecurity over the last twenty years, right? You know, if if you believe every uh, email you get, you think the world's on fire and there's nothing we can do. Hell, let's just put all the data on on just some public server and let everyone get it because what's the point of defending it, right? Uh-huh. Um, but what's what's one thing you see that we've we're really got under control today in cyber where it's not as big of a problem as it used to be uh, i think it's difficult to answer the question it's not a problem anymore but so much so as it's something that we're moving more towards a positive ray uh, i'd say, say containment i'd say containment would be the right the right description, right? So we know we have a lot of challenges, but I think we have some challenges contained. Did, do you think there's some challenges where, where there's enough security controls and solutions and things that we can do to where we can contain it um, more than ever before? Um, yeah, I, I think it's more, why are you thinking in terms of like skills, like pen testing and hacking, or are you thinking more like products? I'm thinking more of uh, challenges, not products. I, I, I'm thinking more of, you know, I'm thinking more of like, do you think we have awareness uh, pretty well contained at this point or phishing pretty well contained at this point? Or I, I honestly don't believe so. So okay. maybe this is not the answer you were expecting. No, I, 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 I have zero expectations for answers. I ask questions <laughs> because I want to know what you have to say. If you say, hey, I don't think we have anything really properly contained at this point. That's no, okay. That's that's, that's, that's maybe, an answer. That's going to be wrong as well. But the thing is this. I mean, but the question is a bit like, let me, let me, let me put the devil's advocate hat, right? Because the thing is, it's wrong. I wouldn't, I don't think that. Nothing is contained. That that that's not what my belief is. Let me let me be very straight for that because I believe we have made a lot of progress. Definitely, we have. Um, saying that we have nothing contained, that is probably exaggeration, and that I don't believe. But I believe that even if you look at the progress that we have made, whether it's uh, fishing awareness, we have become more and more now over the years. We are talking more and about humans. That's a big, big, big progress, right? I mean, we started purely with network IP. DOS, these kind of technical attacks when we were talking about security. And now so many more organizations, so many more systems, so many more business leaders, so many more people within organizations talk about awareness and, and the human aspect. So I believe there's a big progress. But what does containment really mean? Because I believe we can, all, I see from perspective that we can always be better. Even when you look at like um, different kind of challenges that we have come forward, one of them is obviously an awareness and human aspect and element of it. We used to say um, quite a lot that humans are the weakest link, but the problem is there is somebody always out there somewhere who still says that. I mean, and, and that's like but very difficult for me to say. It's that an oxymoron. So, so right. humans, the weakest link is an oxymoron because humans are the weakest link in everything. You build a building, something isn't built right, human error. Plane crashes, chances are human error, right? I mean, even the 737s with the software issue yeah. was, yeah, it was a software issue, but it was a human error Correct. in operating the software. 
that will always be, even if you build this technology, ultimately technology is built by human. So if a technology errs, it's human that errs, right? Right. <laughs> so, but, but that's the thing. I mean, the shift that I've seen has happened, but it's still not completely there yet, is that yes, it's to err is human. That is correct. And that's something we have to take as a part of a CISO role. But we cannot put the blame on them. I mean, that's the key learning from solar wind. Don't blame the intern and take accountability. So one thing that I believe we have not contained, which is not the question you asked, but nonetheless, is that we still blame, we point fingers. And um, we still have to stop that. But yes, we have made a lot of progress. At a very technical level, you everybody's not doing HTTPS. Let's say maybe that's contained. But again, there's somewhere out there somebody who is still running an HTTP website on the sensitive data. I mean, it's very difficult to say we have contained one so, thing fully. So I'll tell you what I think. I, I, I'm a. I don't do this often, where I become an optimist. Um, <laughs> but but I'm also not the guy who screams the sky's falling every day, right? That's but I do believe that we've made tremendous progress on a lot of things that even though they still remain a problem, they're far more contained because if we didn't have this containment, it'd be the sky is falling. And one of them, I believe, is phishing and email security. Mm-hmm. I think that there's been so much progress done there. There has. To where, you know, if we didn't have this progress... 80% of our inbox would be spam mm-hmm. and not the other way around. Mm-hmm. Right. And I think today we're able to get to a point where you're 97, 98% blocking spam. And mm-hmm. that 2% is where you're always going to get better. Right. And, right. and you, you don't have to agree with, 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 with that. Right. But that to me, no, but, I do. but that's the thing I do because you asked the question fully contained and then you said somewhat contained. So I actually do. So, so, so yeah, I apologize. So, so I didn't mean fully contained because nothing can ever be fully contained and secure. That was my point. But I mean, and I agree with you, a lot of progress has been made. And I am an optimist. I'm an optimist almost every single day. I believe it's completely opposite. I believe I get paranoid much less and I'm actually more optimistic, which is also a bit weird for being a security person. I'm not really that paranoid all the time. I'm mostly optimistic. So I fully agree with what you're saying. And that's, that's really my point. We've made a lot of progress. And that's something we should celebrate. That's something we should take it as a big achievement. That it's something that we have come forward together as a community, which we couldn't have done alone. So the credit goes to the community. Absolutely. Yeah, we've, we, we've made some really good moves. Yeah, we still have a long road ahead of us. But mm. one thing I'm very optimistic about, by the way, is uh, security by design. Mm-hmm. And I think security by design and some of the stuff that we're seeing now being done at the at the foundational level for organizations is going to be very significant in the future for us. Not today, mm-hmm. not tomorrow. Kind of an optimism. You and I will do a podcast a year from now and we'll talk about security from design and see what that's Sounds like. Sounds good. Sounds right? Good. So we get to my favorite part of the show. Right. We get to know a little bit more about you, Monica. And so the CISO Insight Round, I love it. So... I'm going to ask you a few questions here, Mm -hmm. uh, kind of a thunder round, really fun. Um, In case, in case you've missed all of my other 109 podcasts, I have a buzzword graveyard. 
And in bu- in my buzzword graveyard, we bury a lot of buzzwords. Which buzzword mm-hmm. would you like to bury in my buzzword graveyard? Next generation, please. Let's huh. I like that. Please. That's a first. Bravo. Oh my God. Bravo. Ding, 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 ding. Gen, next gen. Let's just please. Just please. Let's just stop that. I don't even. It doesn't even make sense, to be very honest. Yeah. Um, I've. Uh, Every yeah. second year, we come with something new next gen. How is that even possible? That's just mathematically not correct. I, I, I don't think people understand what a generation is, right? So let's have a conversation about what a generation is. <laughs> well, a generation is a whole, like, it's it's going when you're this baby boomers, you have Gen X, you have Gen Y. There's a long It's a 20-year of, time period. It's a 20-year time it's period. Yeah. Yes, you can't, you can't. You cannot come every two years with something which is next gen. It has to go from one generation to another. Of yes, it's more than two decades or two decades. So, and yeah. in, in the last one decade, we have come with so many next gen products, which is fascinating to me. We've covered enough next gen products for the next seven hundred generations. I don't know, so many generations, correct? Yeah. So yeah. So that's my. Please put it in a graveyard. That is getting buried. I'm glad it's raining outside today. So the ground is soft (laughs) and ready for the burial ceremony of next gen. Let's talk about what technology that you think is going to change the way we do cyber. Well, definitely machine learning and and how it will be used in in deep learning, how it will be used in AI. We don't have it today uh, to the extent, but we are seeing about deep fakes and stuff. I think it will be also used for the positive of cybersecurity. And and the whole aspect of um, how artificial intelligence will be part of different services that we provide, also in health sector, for example. So I believe that that will definitely be uh, a key technology that will will change the way we do cybersecurity. And also because a lot of numbingly boring, repetitive tasks can then be actually outsourced to technology. Indeed. Tell me, uh, what what book are you reading right now? Uh, I just finished um, Atomic Habits by James Clear, uh-huh. and I'm reading the one right now is how to or what is that? How to be a how to be a millionaire mind or something? Oh, I can't remember the title exactly. How to have millionaire a millionaire mind mindset or something? Yeah, something like that. I can't remember. It's Think from like a millionaire. Yeah. Um, but the one I finished was Atomic Habits, and and this one is the one more about the uh, mindset. Um. I have to say this though, um, people ask me this question about books and sometimes I disappoint security professionals because none of my books are actually security books. Usually when the last security book I read was the one from Bruce Schneier, but uh, mostly it's not. The reason being, I love reading about other topics that I use in security then. So whether it's psychology, whether it's mindset, whether it's leadership, I love reading different subject matter that then I helps me become a better leader, helps me become a better, become a better CISO, helps me a better problem solver, better in my job, better in my life. And, and I really love to focus on those. So I'm sorry if you're a cybersecurity folk who's offended by that, but that's the way it is. I love it. Um, what's the last movie you saw? The Theory of Everything. I loved it. It was, oh my God, it was beautiful. If you have not watched it, please do. I will, I will be, so I'll be sure to check it out. I'm, I'm, 
I've I've tried to, I try to avoid TV as much as humanly possible. Mm-hmm. Um, so, um, yeah, uh, I'm more into my next question, which is, what is your favorite music? Ooh, that's a good one. It's mostly alternative and rock. So I love listening to Nickelback, uh, Metallica. Oh no! Like, Did you just say Nickelback? No. Yeah, I do. I actually do. <laughs> the script, but well, some of them are alternative. I don't like all rock music either. So I love the old '80s and the old, like the the Kiss and Metallica and all, all these Judas Priest and all these things. But I also love alternative. So I do love the script. I do love Nickelback. Well, we're I gonna have love... to get. We're gonna have to recover you from Nickelback. Nickelback is is is. I'm recovered. I'm not like crazy crazy fan. I'm a crazy okay. fan of the script though. The script. You know, I'm a crazy fan of. Three Eleven. They're great. If you yeah, haven't listened to 311, they're they're check out 311. Um, but I have a very variety and like very varied taste in music. The only thing I don't like, let me say this way. I enjoy most music. Um, I have grown up with a lot of pop and rap. Then I went into this whole rock phase where I was just like the Kiss, the Metallica, Metallica, Judas Priest, and, and Killers and all these things. And then I went more into the alternative phase. I have had different phases. Let me just say that. And and like some of them are just the classics, like Frank Sinatra is too, what I love to listen to and and, and all the old uh, school kinds. But what I don't like is techno. Please don't make me hear techno. I just, I cannot bear <laughs> that shit. Just cannot. So that I can just say. I don't, I have a threshold where it just needs that. Techno is pretty big in Europe though, Monica. Techno is I uh... know. it's like a european thing it's not even an american thing like there's very few like techno stations in america i think although i'm pretty sure we're gonna get hate mail now i'm pretty sure people are gonna diss us for nickelback and sorry we're we're gonna hear it we're gonna hear it and our final question for for our show today is what's one thing you took away from solar winds well i did mention that one like accountability i believe um it's, it's one thing of the whole supply chain that we obviously have talked about, how important it is to manage your risk throughout your entire supply chain. Um, your, actually, this is the important thing. Your weakest link is the weakest link in your supply chain. Not yeah. necessarily your humans, but the, but the weakest link in your entire supply chain is your weakest link. And if you don't know where it is, you're going to get hit. That's definitely one of the things. The other thing I do want to mention is accountability. I mean, it's not a, it, it's a no brainer in the sense, obviously everybody said it like you can't blame the intern, but I mean, this whole thing of not taking accountability in general, is just fully wrong because you have to as a leader, There's, it's not even about cybersecurity. Ultimately, if something goes wrong for in the organization for me as a leader, my um, employees, mistakes are my responsibility and accountability mine is my bosses and so on and ultimately what happens to an organization is the ceo's accountability at the end of the day and moving away from that just shows uh, not the right mindset let me just say it that way yeah you're absolutely right monica thank you so much for coming on the show i really appreciate it, was a it. pleasure Folks, i enjoyed it thank you it was yeah it's this is a wonderful episode folks monica verma folks you can check her out at monicatalkscyber.com you can also um, make sure to subscribe to our podcast right now as well. If you have not subscribed yet, we'll be back with 
more CISO Talk episodes next week. If you haven't subscribed to the CyberHub Podcast Practitioner Brief, you should do that right now. That's a live show I do Monday through Thursday at 9 a.m. Eastern, uh, highlighting uh, three or four of the most pressing stories for practitioners and what we can do from a risk impact and mitigation perspective. Go and do that. Monica Varma, again, thank you so much, folks. That's it for us here. Thank you. Have a great rest of your day, folks, or evening or morning or however you listen to this because it's for, I don't know when you're listening, but whenever it is, enjoy whatever's left of your day and make it a good one. Take care, folks. Stay cyber safe. Take care. Make sure to subscribe to our podcast and share it with your friends and colleagues and get all the latest information at cyberhubpodcast.com. 